All right. Here we go. Quiet. Roll up. Hello and welcome to the Big Picture Podcast, where we take a look at the latest movie news, the films of today and yesterday, and put them all into some sort of context. Seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online, Editor-in-Chief, and Birthday Boy, Rich Trees. <laughs> and seated across the microphone from me is Film Buff Online, Contributing Editor, and Birthday Party Planner Extraordinaire, Natasha Bogutsky. Thank you, thank you. <laughs> By the way... It has been 114 podcasts that we have done. Over the space of about five years. I mean, we've, we're we not the most consistent weekly podcasters. I will admit that. I wish no. we were because I always enjoy this time where we have discussing films, but sometimes we're also off making short films yeah. or going to festivals but that and stuff being like that. said so, yeah. we need to write a new intro <laughs> <laughs> I, that to has, keep it fresh that has been on my mind <laughs> uh you know mixing up a little bit of because uh, we are obviously some of the standard things that we like do. the outro we are not just now available on spotify <laughs> well, and google play yeah, I, well, yeah. we've been available on spotify true and play. <laughs> true <laughs> yeah it, that is on my short list of things to do kind of like mix up things here a little bit but then again that short list is about a hundred thousand items long so oh, I, I completely understand welcome back ladies and gentlemen i'm sorry i am just waking up um <laughs> see this is what we do we go without we go sleep deprivation to get you this quality, quality program. We go sleep deprivation? You mean we are sleep deprived? That too. <laughs> <laughs> He's obviously tired as well. Mm, yes, well. <laughs> um, yeah, well, I was up late, watched the uh, Chris Rock special uh, live on Netflix, enjoyed it. Mm -hmm. uh, it's not his best hour overall, but considering... You kind of had to sit through some of that to get to, I think, what everybody was really waiting for him to talk about right there at the end. And if you don't know what I'm obliquely referring to, yeah. <laughs> go back and rewatch last year's Oscars. Yeah, I can't wait for this year's Oscars. Yeah, I, I, Honestly, I, I kind of like the positioning of this. A week before the Oscars, Chris Rock comes out, has his say, and let's move on. Mm -hmm. Yeah, we get a couple of chuckles out of what he had to say. He had some points too, I think. And honestly, if uh, the Smith family is actually sincere about being contrite and for uh, asking for forgiveness for what they did, they're going to drop any further discussion of it. We hope. We hope. Although I could see like somebody going, yeah, well, Chris, you know, and trying to fire back again. But we don't need that kind of nonsense going on. There's mm. far too many more fun and interesting and wonderful things to be talking about. Like, yes, the Indie Spirit Awards, oh, yeah, which were also last night. Hint, we're recording on a Sunday and this should be out Monday morning. <laughs> um, we hope it'll be out Monday morning. <laughs> but um, oh, I got yeah. busting you a little. I know. I know. But our favorite film of the year, of last year, continues its 
march through the award season. It's march. It's dominating. It's ransacking of the award season. It's, yeah, it's sweeping everything. Yes, we are, of course, talking about everything, everywhere, all at once. Yeah. Um, Which is an incredible film. If you haven't seen it, what are you doing listening to our podcast? <laughs> you have not been paying Pause attention. Pause it, go watch it, and then come back. And thank us. And yes. Uh, yes. Um, I'm, I'm just, I'm amazed. Like, the previous film from the Daniels was mm-hmm. Swiss Army Man, which everybody kind of, like, laughed off as, oh, it's the farting corpse movie. It, it. I wouldn't say it got laughed off for that. I think it just kind of went under the radar. It's a fabulous film. It, I, I, I think it's a I fabulous. I still film. haven't seen it, but, but I am aware the, of it. People hear the premise and are like, "Yeah, that sounds weird. I'm not gonna watch that." And somehow they harness their weirdness in just the right way, taking you know uh, science fiction tropes, mm-hmm. mixing them with you know Hong Kong films, and a, and make and, and a generous helping of heart yes and emotion it's very profound in the third act yes it's it's beautiful actually and it's what i wish we and i don't want to slam it by saying it's a genre film but technically it is kind of a genre film and i wish we would get more genre stuff like that that would kind of illuminate more of the human condition stuff like that colossal was like that too a few years back um, not as strong a film as Everything Everywhere All at Once, but I think Colossal had something to do, you know, deal with in terms of uh, trauma and abuse overall. Yeah, um, I, I know that we have spoken in the past about uh, Colossal. That's another one I still haven't caught up with. Bitch. <laughs> We pay attention to different sectors sometimes. I know we do. I know. You are very much more into genre films than I am. I, I know. I know. I, I'm just... I go I go deeper into indies and period pieces. So That's true. Yes. <laughs> wow. <laughs> Anyways, you were going to say, you, you looked like you had something else to say, though, before. I did. And, and you're just not going to say it now? Oh, it kind of flew away. Okay. <laughs> it's gone. It's freaking gone. But let's kind of uh, go over some of these uh, Indie Spirit Award winners. What winners? It was almost all EAAO. They swept with seven wins last night. That's true. That's true. But let's count them off here. Obviously, Best Picture mm-hmm. and Best Director for the Daniels. Yes. Um. We had Key, had, you know, best supporting actor. Oh man, th- this this guy's underdog story, his return to film, it, it's so heartwarming. And I'm not even saying that as you know somebody who's a fan of his work when he was a kid and when I was a kid at the same time. It it's just so moving, I think. And if it's it's gonna really sting if he does not win an Oscar next weekend. He's winning. Yeah, he be- <laughs> yeah he pretty much is because I mean if he's, you look, he's won every single yeah win. If, so if you look at the SAG it. awards as an indicator, then yeah, he, it, it, you know it's his to lose. Um, SAG awards don't always get it right, but there's a good enough um, probability there that he should definitely be thinking about what he's gonna be saying. Uh, on that podium. Um, what else do we have? We had, um, they won... Uh, Michelle. Michelle Yeoh. 
Stephanie Hsu for best breakout, breakout performance. performance. Um, uh, uh, Maybe that's screen another screenplay and screen. editing. Mm-hmm. And editing, yeah, yeah, editing, absolutely, yes. Um, um, with Stephanie, that's that's just another indicator of why you need to be watching Mrs. Maisel. <laughs> but she's been having a great week. Yeah, I know you're gonna. You, I've just started on Mrs. Maisel, and you know that. Um, because I've been watching it over at your place. Um, oh boy, you got a while to go. I know I do. Um, but she's also has a great turn in this week's episode of Poker Face over on Peacock, and this episode was probably the best episode of the season. It's really good. I don't want to get into it. I can't even talk about it without like spoiling stuff, except to say, uh, well, first of all, it has the best t- t- episodic title in all of the history of television. <laughs> the It's called Escape from Shit Mountain. That's a pretty damn good title. <laughs> However, not the best. Oh, okay. I can't think of something right now better, <laughs> but it's. It's 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 punny, but it's not original. I don't know. I like it. And once you see the episode, well, you you're like, like puns. Well, yeah, that's true too. <laughs> uh, once you see the episode, though, it's like holy shit! This is amazing. It's really good, um, and it sets up something for the season finale next week. So I'm very excited for that. Poker Face has been a great series. If you like, if you're tired of standard procedurals. Um, and you like something maybe that's maybe almost a throwback to literally Columbo from the 70s. Uh, this is a great show, and I highly recommend it, no matter who was the creator of the show. <laughs> I know you're looking at me like, you're just a Ryan Johnson stan, and we know this, which is true. I am a Ryan Johnson stan. However, I would be recommending this show if he weren't involved. But you wouldn't have watched it at first if he wasn't. There was enough buzz about it, especially the uh, Columbo angle, that I probably would have at some point checked it out. I'm not sure it would have been appointment viewing Thursday morning, make myself breakfast and sit down (laughs) on the couch and watch that before work kind of watching. I was going to say there have been plenty of shows that have gotten a lot of buzz that took you years to get to. Hey, we're all very busy people. I mean, that's why I watch a lot of new television like first thing in the morning. Uh, partly to avoid spoilers on social media, though. You know, I'll get up on Wednesday and watch Mando. Thir- Thursday, I'm like getting up and I'm like, okay, Poker Face and Picard before work. Okay. <laughs> um, just have a little bit of extra caffeine later in the day, I guess. But, you know, I you know, I do that to avoid all this stuff. And hopefully, um, you know, because, you know, I have a friend who is like, I'm holding off on reactivating my Disney Plus subscription until Mando's almost done, so I can just binge the whole third season. But I'm afraid people are going to screw me with spoilers just on, you know, on Twitter or on Facebook, because you know somebody will see see something, it immediately gets memeified, and then boom, they're out there spoiling stuff. I'm... I mean, he he had a key, and I'm even saying this for. Season two of Mando, which is what two years old now, mm-hmm. he had a return in the last episode of a character spoiled for him, which I feel bad for because you know 
I that you know I got up, I watched it, you know, I got to experience the. Oh my god, is that where is that? Oh my god, <laughs> you know, one of those moments, and you don't get those a lot anymore unless you kind of have to like enforce things, you know, around you. Uh, to to be able to create those moments, you have to create your own space to be allowed to be surprised by a show. Which I'm not gonna lie, sucks. I don't get a lot of spoilers that come across my. Everyone is usually pretty good about you know not spoiling things for other people. Oh yeah, and I will say that part of the creating your own space around you to remain unspoiled is curating your social media. Um, feeds Mm -hmm. and if you need to mute the word mandalorian for six weeks until you can watch the show maybe mute that word on twitter um at the same time i don't think you can do that on other social media platforms though yeah at the same time yeah which sucks who uses twitter anymore i do but it's mostly it's mostly just for um contact with other creators i know contact with other creators and um it is kind of a good news feed, even though, and I can tell you this from uh, just looking at Film Buff Online's own uh, server stats, Twitter does has never driven traffic to the website. Yeah, because not a lot of people still use it. No, I'm talking about in the eight years I've had a Twitter account for the site, mm. it's never driven any any appreciable amount of traffic at all. It's kind of just like a pro forma thing out there. You know, I'm staking my claim and using it so nobody else tries to uh, do something hanky with it. But anyways, so who were the, some of the other winners there on the Indie Spirit Awards? Um, we had After Sun for first feature, which is very impressive. It's been getting a lot of love from critics I am not one of those. It was all right. Um, I, I can seen it, I so can I see where a lot of people liked it, but it didn't connect really for me. Joyland from Pakistan as best international film. Okay. Um, I saw for you best mm-hmm. new scripted series, The Bear. Yes. Well, it's it's a fantastic show. And see, that's one I was on top of, and you have yet to catch up on. So. Yeah, it just didn't strike me. Mm-hmm. I, I'm, I'm sure I'll I, get around to it. I've I, had friends who work in the restaurant industry who are like, I tried to watch it, and it gave me uh, PTSD. So it's, <laughs> it's yeah. intense, but apparently it's very dramatically true. Which is what which is what we watch any of this stuff for ultimately, I think on some levels. Some yeah, we some do. amount of truism yeah. that we can relate to or learn from. Um or to be able to see something from a different perspective, I think is probably the most important lesson to take away from film. Yeah. And uh also for first screenplay, we had John Patton Ford for Emily the Criminal. That should be good news for you. Yes, yes. Um that's that was one of my favorites from last year. Uh great performance from Aubrey Plaza, who we'll be talking about in just a little bit. And um it's funny because I was looking at uh the winners of the awards that I got to vote on as a member of the Philadelphia Film Critics Circle. And um, John Patton Ford won our Best Directorial Debut Award 
for really? Emily the Criminal. Yep. And um, let's see, going down, we gave Best Film to Everything Everywhere All at Once, uh, Best Director to the Daniels. Uh, Michelle Yeoh was our runner-up for Best Actress. Um, uh, who won Best Actor at the Indies? At the uh, there Spirits. was no best actor. It was just best lead performance oh, and best supporting. That's right. That's right. That's right. They um they went changed non- their format. They went non-gender this year. Yeah. Or last year. Stephanie Hsu was our runner-up in best supporting actress. Best supporting actor was Ki Hu Kwan. So yeah, seems like the Indie Spirit Awards were kind of in sync with us on a lot of that, which is nice, I guess. But yeah, Aubrey Plaza having a bit of a moment too. Yeah, uh, Emily the Criminal, great reviews. Great performance, one of her best. And uh, this week, she's in the first of the two films we're going to talk about. We're talking about Operation Fortune. All right. So we're both Guy Ritchie fans here, I think. Yes. Um, definitely say that. Although I would say we're probably critical Guy Ritchie fans in that <laughs> we, we know where some of his faults uh, have Aladdin. overtaken <laughs> Aladdin, yes, and uh, Swept Away. I would say are two absolute worst movies. Um, I I will admit, I actually do kind of, I don't love them, but I enjoy them. His Sherlock Holmes films. Oh yeah, they're fun. They're fun. They're fun. They're they're big. They're they're him on a big budget. Mm-hmm. And you know, it's, so those films you know are carried by his his directorial touches and. Uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s. I think the second one um, is not quite as strong. And that's a script issue more than anything else. Agreed. Um, but it does have a stronger, I think, emotional tie through the film. Mm-hmm. It's just not as well done in terms of... Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we don't talk about King Arthur. Oof. Oh God! See, I forgot about that. Otherwise, I would have listed that with the uh, the other two movies that I don't think are all that good of his. I started watching it because mm-hmm. you know I'm a big King Arthur fan. Oh, I know. But having Katie McGrath, who <laughs> famously played Morgana Le Fay on the BBC Merlin, come in briefly as um, Jude Law's character's wife in the opening credits of the film for him to kill her as some sort of human sacrifice was the biggest fuck you to (laughs) one of the best versions of king arthur ever made that i shut it off and i nearly flung my phone across the room okay let me ask you this though um is that a was that a fuck you or was that just a, a we're doing dr- something dr- yeah, we're own. doing something different similar to that opening shot of Twin Peaks Fire Walk with me of the TV set that gets the axe through the screen or the British spy at the, in the tuxedo at the beginning of Triple X that you know looks so suave and sophisticated and yeah we're supposed to think of James Bond and then he winds up getting killed like almost immediately yeah but there's a difference between a television screen and faking a character that is incredibly famous there's another entirely to get the exact same actor okay yeah yeah that's that's a little bit more personal yeah um but honestly the rest of the movie is so bad I couldn't. I, I, I don't know if I can give them credit for actually 
saying that was their intent. I just I just know for a fact that I am such a huge King Arthur buff that my brain was going, you know what? I, I, I know it's probably not going to be good, but I should probably watch it anyway just so I can cross it off my list. But that those opening credits, <laughs> I was fuming. <laughs> I know you. I yes. was so pissed off. It, that that was worse than watching Katie McGrath get knocked around by ter- pterodactyls. Oof. <laughs> and then he, yeah, he by the man with Yeah, that moment was evil. Um, more because that was more personal to me. Yeah. yeah. It. it I, and I can see that, and I understand that. Um, you know, again, I'm not sure I want to give the movie that much credit for that much forethought, because uh, the rest of it's just that bad. And it was going to be, like, the start of a King Arthur cinematic universe, and, like, all the men were going to get their own spun-off things, and that just sounded like a terrible idea. <laughs> I mean, I mean, I've always said, no idea is okay, okay, no really... absolutely terrible it's just the execution of it it's not a horrible idea if at the end of your cinematic universe you have a big bad that is like thanos big Mm -hmm. and that's the creation of the round table like it's not a bad idea i mean most of the king arthur stories like you have the story of percival you have the story of gawain you have the story of lancelot of the lake uh, elaine the lily maid particularly if you're looking at tennyson and all of that mm-hmm. so giving them all their own films and then bringing them all together for the round table to to battle whatever this huge bad is morgana probably and you know she can be or or morgana and mordred Mm -hmm. it's it's not a bad idea but i mean at the exact same time mordred kills arthur and that's the downfall of camelot so yeah you're 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 setting everyone up on this massive story act has a your story arc has a bummer ending. Yeah, it, it has a it has a shelf life. One of the things I loved about the ending of Merlin, though, when they did that was Merlin put dead Arthur in a boat and pushed him out to the Isle of Avalon. 2,000 years later, we are now in modern day at that same location. The lake is unchanged, but there's like a road that drives past it. <laughs> <laughs> and a car goes down it. And just as the car is driving by, you see a man walking along, and it's Merlin, old Merlin, still walking and patrolling to make certain that one day when Arthur wakes up and comes back, he's there for him. So I, it, there's I, a twinge okay, of yeah. hope. Yeah, you could that. That's great, actually. Honestly, the uh, I'm like, yeah. How else do you end that? Okay, it, it almost when you said first, there's the road. I was almost like, oh. They paved over Arthur's thing. What a cynical, sad ending. And I started to think about... No, it's a road past the lake. Oh, okay. So it's past the lake. Mm-hmm. You're, like, you're driving past it, and the lake's like off to the left-hand side. All right. Because um, the way I was looking at that, uh, you know, like I said, I thought you meant they paved <laughs> over. And then I started to think, well, first of all, I was like, wow, what a cynical ending. I sort of like that. 
Because <laughs> I'm a, a, you're a cynic. Yeah, I'm a cynical guy. I'm I'm a cynical romantic. You know, I'm like, I like the, to believe in romance. I just know it's never happening to me. I was gonna say uh, those two are those two things contradict each other. I know. <laughs> I'm a complex man. Uh, then I started thinking about. Um, uh, oh gosh, I'm suddenly blanking on the king's name. The one that they were like, everybody was sure had been buried somewhere else and then they somebody did all the research and she found out that he was actually buried under a car park Richard the 3rd and the actually yeah, there's the, a movie, the movie coming yes. out about that Yes yes Sally I, Hawkins Yes I saw that at um at the Philly Film Festival I think it was last year and it's a delightful film It's um it, yeah so it's it's a fun little film it's got some quirky characters Sally Hawkins is as always delightful um so I would recommend that but let's kind of uh, move off of the Indie Spirit Awards and whatever weird-ass tangents we took here. We always take weird-ass tangents. I know. We were talking Guy Ritchie. Yes. Guy Ritchie. Um, and get back to, yes, Guy Ritchie. <laughs> so that leads us to today, this weekend, and his latest film, uh, kind of delayed, uh, not necessarily because of the pandemic, but... Operation Fortune, Ruse de Guerre. Um, definitely, this is a film that wants to establish a franchise. We have a fun world of uh, almost freelance spies, it feels like, uh, led by uh, J- a spy team led by Jason Statham. Mm-hmm. And um, they're off to, uh, at the behest of the British government, stop some arms dealers from selling... Something that was stolen from a secret research facility that was so secret, we don't even know at first what, what was stolen, stolen. Which seems weird. But if you kind of just go with it. It's a quirky yeah. little mystery first uh-huh. before it turns into a spy movie. Yeah. With a lot of fun action sequences. So right off the top, where would you put this in the range of Guy Ritchie's work. Well, I'm looking at his filmography right now. Okay. Lockstock and Snatch are king. Swept away. Undebu- undisputed there. <laughs> Swept away is would be the bottom of the... Yeah. I've not seen Revolver or Rock and Rolla, so I can't say anything about those two. Sherlock Holmes, Game of Shadows... That's mid-range. Yeah. Man from Uncle, I would put that closer to top tier. Uh, King Arthur, bottom of the barrel. Aladdin, bottom of the barrel. Gentleman, closer to top tier. Wrath of Man, I didn't see. Operation Fortune, mid-range. I saw, I'd put it near like Sherlock Holmes. Yeah, I've seen almost all of his stuff. Um, I'm trying to think. I don't think there's anything I've really missed. Um, some of it I've only watched once, uh, which even the mid-tier stuff I've only really watched once or twice, like Rock and Rolla and um, uh, Wrath of Man, his most recent before this one. Mm. And um, I would say this kind of sits comfortably mid-range, upper mid-range of his work. It's, it's, it's fun, but it, I actually found it slightly annoying. And not so? just because of Aubrey Plaza. <laughs> I am not an Aubrey Plaza stamp. And let me preface this before people rip my head off. 
I think that she is very attractive, very funny. She's good, intelligent. She's good at what she does. But there's something about her that makes my skin crawl. Like, I feel like I could be in a room with her somewhere in the back and her eyes are going to find me and she doesn't even have to turn around. <laughs> okay. Like, there's something snakish about her that terrifies me. Other than that, I think she's wonderful. I just don't want to be anywhere near her. Um, but <laughs> okay. no, the thing that annoyed oh. me the most about this movie, hmm. the good guys are never really in any danger. Yeah, you're right. There's there's not a... <sighs> there's no feeling of true threat to any of them. Mm-hmm. There's no stakes. I no. mean, we're told that, you know, this device ultimately could cause a financial meltdown and... And I don't want to get any further into spoilers on that, but it never feels real. It doesn't... Not even in the fight scenes. And... You know it's Jason Statham. You put anyone against Jason Statham, you're like, well, Jason Statham's winning. Yeah. Like, there's there's no threat. Mm Mm-hmm. Even the Aubrey Plaza, when she gets caught in that room... He, it's like Aubrey Plaza. You know, deception's her number one tool in real life from everything you've ever seen her do. She could pull this off. You don't feel like she's ever in any danger. Everybody's too good mm-hmm. for their job. Yeah, Bugsy's I, always off in the corner sniping. Like, there's no threat to him. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah, there, there needed to be, I think, some more complications mm-hmm. to what was going on there. It's very straightforward. They're super competent at what they do to the point of it's like, okay, these are fun action sequences, but I'm not emotionally invested in these action sequences. Yeah. Um, And also the pacing was off on this movie. It doesn't start off with a walk before a brisk jog and then break into a run. You hit the ground running from the opening shot. Yeah. I don't think there was any... There's no credits at all at the beginning, are there? Mm-mm. It didn't feel I you know, I remember we were about five or six minutes in and I'm like, wait, we didn't even get a title or anything? You know, it's just literally a like card. a production car, you know, at the beginning and then vroom, we're in. Um which is, you know, I mean, it used to be it used to be a director's guild rule that you had to have your director, you know, directed by credit at the beginning of a film. You know, and by extension, probably title card and blah, blah, blah. And that is why George Lucas left the Director's Guild, because when the first Star Wars came out, he goes, no, I want I don't want that. I want Star Wars. I want, you know, Lucasfilm presents Star Wars and then The Crawl. And I want my director's credit at the end of the movie because mm-hmm. I just want to boom. That's what I want to do to set the mood to get people in the mindset. And the director's guild was like, well, you remember the director's guild. You have to have it at the front. That's one of our rules. And he's like, guess I'm not part of the director's guild anymore. <laughs> um, and I'm guessing that's probably changed by now. Because uh, I'm sure we have seen it elsewhere. But here it does kind of stand out. Because as you said, we hit the ground running. and the, There's no break. That's it. Boom. This is zip, 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 zip. Yeah. Um, um, there were some highlights. Of this film, uh, honest, 
Josh Hartnett and Hugh Grant are a highlight. <laughs> they were the main reason I wanted to go see this movie to begin with because I'm not a fan of um, Aubrey Plaza. So she wasn't the draw for me on this movie. Mm-hmm. And Jason Statham, you know what you're in for with Jason Statham. It's going to be sharp, just – what's the word I'm looking for? Um his comedy is very is going to be very dry. He's going to beat the shit out of some people, and then he's going to walk away looking really cool. You know what you're in for. So my brain is going, where are there going to be the excitement, the, the keep you on your toes kind mm-hmm. of? And I'm like, oh, Josh Hartnett. He hasn't done anything in a little while. And uh, the last thing I saw him in was so magnificent he needs to get more work and Hugh Grant who anytime he works with Guy Ritchie chews up the goddamn screen he has so much fun he is totally off the leash in terms of like I'm just going for it and I'm gonna have a good he understands that this is at its core pulpy material it's it's good you know this is this is a solid B movie and I think we saw this in the best way possible on a Saturday afternoon with some friends <laughs> and we're just sitting there, you know, laughing, laughing and enjoying it. It's kind of disposable. Unfortunately, I certainly don't think it has the depth of something like snatch or lock, stock and two smoking barrels. Even the gentleman had more yeah. to it. Even Okay. And I was actually discussing this with Darren in the car the other day. There was a faction of people who really didn't like the gentleman because it, it's very much in the vein of Lock, Stock, and Snatch. And some of the comedy uh, does kind of rest on some outdated racial stereotypes. Um, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, um, and that's even going past the vulgarity section. Mm-hmm. My favorite section of The Gentleman comes from Bugsy Malone and Colin Farrell is the coach. And I am going to quote... This film, so please don't rip my throw it apart, ladies and gentlemen, and variations are upon. Um, where a boxer looks at Bugsy and goes, Why aren't you training, you black cunt? And he goes, Did he just call me a black cunt? Yes, he did. We can't do that. It's racist. He goes, No, he was being specific to you. He's not saying that black people are cunts. <laughs> <laughs> and I would even go a step mm-hmm. further and call it a term of familiar endearment. He goes, Well, he. He's a gypsy. You don't call, see me calling him a pikey cunt. He's like, why not? He might be very understanding. It, it, <laughs> there is a yeah. variation of how people talk to each other if they're friends. Yeah, there, there was in those lines of dialogue, which kind of play comedically. There, it's educational it's, as well. It, it definitely dives into, you know, te- text and context and when people and who can mm-hmm. use certain uh, certain words. Oh, I, I look at my friends all the time and like girlfriends and I will be like, bitch has just kind of gone out the window in the last 20 years. <laughs> Before it used to be like the top tier, you don't say that. Mm-hmm. And now it's just like, bitch, bitch. See, uh, see, what's so funny is thinking, I'm thinking back to about, ni- was it 1989 or so? Mm-hmm. And one of my favorite shows from the 80s, Moonlighting. <laughs> When Dave and Maddie finally got together, it was in the midst of a very heated emotional argument. Um, they're going back, you know, yelling back and forth, which was 90% of that show anyways, was them yeah. going back and forth. And um, he finally just looks at her and goes, 
bitch. And and she replies, bastard. And then she slaps him, slaps him again, and then they kiss and they fall into bed. Um, and the idea that they used bitch was, was kind of was like the nuclear option mm-hmm. in the 80s. You didn't say the B word. And that they were able to get that on television was, you know, I think very groundbreaking for the moment especially for a show that was considered mostly light comedy yeah like moonlighting honest i now the nuclear option is the see you next tuesday yes um for for, for americans for americans not for i'm trying to point in england to england and i'm not sure which direction it is uh it's it's a everyday general use yeah. term i remember this had to have been 15 years ago, uh, based on who I was having this conversation with, my ex-wife. Um, <laughs> we've not been together for a while. But I remember saying to her at some point, I was like, look, you know, we know how bitch has kind of become a softer word in terms of its impact in, a, in its use. Mm-hmm. I dare say, at some point, the C word is going to be softened and it's not going to have quite as much of a gut punch as it does now and she said you're absolutely wrong and um you honey you're absolutely right because (laughs) most of my that's why we're friends (laughs) (laughs) most of my friends and i we use it on a regular basis the generational thing even yes Uh, and honest that's that's kind of how people look at it is the next generation is willing to take the risks verbally and create new ways mm-hmm. of using i think the word I mean, fuck is a beautiful beautiful word it can be used in so many different oh, yes, ways yes, yes, and yes. so many different mm-hmm. uh connotations behind it and it, it, you know it's yeah. i mean i'm old enough to remember <laughs> Back in uh, 1984, 83, somewhere around there, when um, they tried to bring the John Candy film Uncle Buck as a sitcom, Mm. and one of the characters said crap, and people went bananas. They're like, yes. What? Yes. (laughs) Honestly, crap was like, we're having a child say crap on network on network TV in prime time during the family hour? And yet they also had Christmas story. Oh fudge. Yeah, well, that's that's a dodge on the word. That play that's great comedy. Um because you know what he means. Um but yeah, it's it's funny how like you know, I, I if I heard a priest on the altar, say something is crap. I wouldn't blink an eye now. No. But my, my nuclear option in my house growing up, yeah, if I said fucker cunt, oh boy, did, was I yeah. in for it. However, the nuclear option that got your mouth washed out with soap was either saying, God damn it, or Jesus Christ. Oh, well, that's, that's, <laughs> I think that's entirely different. And that kind of obviously relates to religion, uh, religion yeah. and one's personal spiritual beliefs. And that I got the spank for a fucker cunt. I got the soap. for. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I can see yeah. your mom. I know your mom. So, yeah, that, that makes sense. Um, but, yeah, this movie, though, to get back again, to, I think it was missing a lot of that, I think. Yeah, yeah. 
it was there there was some humorous moments but i don't think there were smart humorous moments no no they um, weren't no, no again aubrey plaza is very good at what she does but she was making up probably about two-thirds of the comedy of this film and it was just there was too dry too on the nose for it to be funny there was one cutaway where it seemed like they probably had actually her... is what they she was getting ready to say. No, 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 no. Earlier in one of the like one of the scenes in the hotel room where they're going over what their next step of their mission is going to yeah, be. Yeah, get inside him. No, 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 no. It yeah. wasn't that. It wasn't that. There was um she said something um and then she made like the you know mind blown thing. Oh, and the then, eyes roll. And yeah, the way. eyes roll. And then the mind. There was like two, one or two different reactions. They cut away, then they came back to her, and then they cut away again. And that that cut away back to her felt like well, we just filmed like five or six reactions uh, to figure out what we were going to use in the edit, and these are our favorite two, mm-hmm. and we can't choose between them, so we're going to throw both of them in. It just felt like a gratuitous cut back to her to i think it was like of, a knock on the floor yeah, yeah, or something yeah. like that yeah and and it would and she almost had a smile on her face like yeah i'm just screwing around at this point uh, you know as the as the actress is saying this not the character is saying this is like because you know we've seen that on set where you try a couple of different things yeah and you know you hope something works uh when you get to the edit bay and i just it, it was just kind of weird i remember going huh <laughs> yeah, no, the she she was really good, but it, I, it is a type of humor I don't think worked for Guy Ritchie. Yeah, yeah, yeah I'm not sure she's a good fit there. Um, although some of the other stuff she did, I I liked, and the other thing that really kind of I did like the moment in the car. Uh, what are you gonna do? I'm gonna shoot at them, Daddy. Like yes. that did work. Yeah. But some of the other stuff just didn't – when they kind of let her go off on her own to do comedy, mm-hmm. it was like, okay, no, no, no. She needs to be reined back in a little in terms of what she's doing because it's not fitting tonally. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And another thing that kind of didn't fit right was it – this was a fun movie. It had a few moments of style – but it didn't it, – and I will say this. I'm going to tangent off and I'll tack back to what I was about to say. Um, I think Jason Statham in a tuxedo fits the literary ideal of James Bond better than we've seen in a lot of other of the James Bonds. Uh, James Bond kind of – in the film series outside of Daniel Craig has kind of become the – he's suave, he's smooth, he's sophisticated, but also a killer. I think – Ian Fleming's conception of the character was a bit more, he's a brute, he's a killer, and he kind of has to, tuxedos shouldn't fit him perfectly. They should kind of be a little bit ill-fitting, because he's trying to blend into these higher society things that he is not born to. And there's a class idea here at work. Mm -hmm. Well, honest, I think Sean Connery then works, because honest, I don't think that tuxedo ever really looked good on him. Okay, okay. That's fair. It, That's fair. It kind of felt like but somebody he like was a, a working class person but thrown like into Pierce that. Pierce Brosnan or Roger Moore. Way too yeah. suave. Even Timothy Dalton, way too suave. Mm-hmm. And I and, love Timothy And Dalton. I think when you look at Jason Statham, you know he's a bruiser. Mm-hmm. And when you see him in a tux, you're like, well, that's a good looking tux on him, but 
he's not wearing that tux. That tuxedo is wearing him. Yeah, and that was a that was actually a good beat of comedy in the script itself. Was um, he's like, oh, I'm I'm his manager. You know, you don't really look like a manager. <laughs> uh, you know, books covers. <laughs> Yeah. Like, obviously, he's trying to address um, the fact that he looks more like a bodyguard in the tuxedo standing next to Josh Hartnett's movie star than his, you know, his personal manager. Yes. But the point I was getting to, though, was when we look at Guy Ritchie's body of work, mm-hmm. we think Lock, Stock, Two Smoking Barrels and Snatch are his two best films, in part because of how visually stylized they are. And I don't think outside of a couple of instances, we get a lot of that here. No, we don't. Um, there's a thing where they attached uh, a GoPro onto the end of his gun during that final assault as he's sneaking That's, in. So, like, that jumped out at me, actually. When the gun comes up and down, the, the car chase thing where she shoots back, there was like one or two uh, cool shots in that. But overall... This movie... It, yeah. it, it felt a little pro forma in terms of just, here's a fun globe-hopping spy caper. And and if you want a globe-hopping spy caper that is visually stylistic, clothing and production stylistic, I'm sorry, Man From U.N.C.L.E. does it a thousand times better. Okay. I will, however, say when it comes to clothing and um, – like a physical stylistic look on our characters and the world that they're in mm-hmm. man from uncle made him up his ante because between that, the gentleman, and even to a certain extent, this movie, man, it's beautiful to look at. And particularly in terms of menswear, mm-hmm. um, I did kind of, he has taken on a lot with doing plaids, tartans, uh, checks and all that. Like, knit ties there was yes. a there was a carry oh, yes. is amazing at this by the way he's having a lot of fun and he mm-hmm. had a great assortment of 60s knit ties that were <laughs> making their way around the film yeah my eyes lit up <laughs> when and I, I went because <laughs> i i mean obviously you know me and well enough to know that i am a tie person i have mm-hmm. a lot of ties i have over 200 and uh one of the sub genres in my tie collection is uh, 80s and 60s knit ties mm-hmm. and um, I just I think they're wonderful and I did however notice w- particularly <laughs> with this movie he upped the menswear design to also include production design so the in the inside of um, the jet plane the wall behind it had this wonderful like navy tartan uh, design going mm-hmm. on did you catch that yes yeah and then also the use of aviator uh, leather and shearling, particularly for Bugs, uh, Bugsy Malone's uh, JJ character. Amazing. They're not putting him in sl- sleek and suave menswear, but there's something still style. Man, styling. <laughs> He's styling. <laughs> okay, well, let me ask you this to kind of wrap this up. If this movie is a hit, and honestly, I haven't looked at box office or, at all or anything. Um, would you like to see this maybe as a franchise launcher? I mean, it feels like it's a franchise launcher. So did Man from Uncle. Well, yeah, but again, that's a box office decision. No. 
This is a one and done. You're good. We've visited these characters and I'm fine. I'm okay with this one. Okay. If they want to make this like the next uh, Mission Impossible or the next whatever, which to be honest, we're going to start seeing a lot more of spy films like this that are going to be trying to create a um, a franchise because Mission Impossible is almost done. You think people are going to be trying to step up into that? Yeah, they're going to be looking for what's the next big spy whammo because obviously james bond is on hiatus right now mission impossible dead reckoning part one comes out this year and we're getting dead reckoning what next year or the year after and that is the end of mission impossible from everything that i have read well they've said that before too they have but but then again tom cruise was not as old as he is now when they said it before true but there's (laughs) also they seem to be upping the ante with every film they get closer to some sort of solidified end when mission impossible first started it it was kind of that fun episodic you know we kind of go on it wasn't until three and four that we started branching into okay if we're gonna survive for the long run we have to start doing a connecting story just like james bond Mm -hmm. and and so uh, that kind of it works but it has a shelf life it's running out i would dare say we're not going to see a new James Bond. Well, I know we're not going to see a new James Bond movie before the Mission Impossible franchise comes to its end with these next two films. Exactly. So and they're going to be looking for something to fill the void. Probably a good thing. I'm. I would not be surprised if uh, MGM, Amazon, or whomever it is who owns it now, along with uh, Eon Productions, says, "Okay, now that Mission Impossible is over, next summer we have our new James Bond out, and we'll find out more." And that might be a part of the calculus of you get Patan and all of them to come to <laughs> <laughs> it, you know, it might be part of the calculus of when does mission impossible end so we can get our new bond out mm-hmm. that might be part of you know their thinking there but i i mean if if guy Ritchie kind of upped his ante a little bit and the script was stronger i wouldn't mind seeing a follow-up to this but if it's going to be just at the same level it's not gonna I, work. I'd rather see him devote his time to something new. I, and honest, the gentleman was so fantastic, and but it does kind of play on what he's good at. It did feel like a modern sort of lock stock snatch film, yeah, including the vulgarity mm-hmm. and all that, which obviously would not play in a PG thirteen film that is trying to start a franchise. Um, I think we got one or two fucks, and uh, <laughs> we made a joke going into the movie that uh, we should play a drinking game with, with how many <laughs> of a certain word, yes, yes, and uh, we didn't get any of them. We got the c word right at the end in the form of "see you next Tuesday." Mm-hmm. Uh, when they were trying to figure out when can they be back from holiday for the next mission, mission was like ten days, ninety six hours. See you next Tuesday. Like, <laughs> yeah. And I, we all kind of Leo memed at the screen at that <laughs> there moment. There we go. There's there it our... is. Yep. <laughs> but it's it's done so artfully. It kind of sneaks under the radar. It's perfect for a PG thirteen action film mm-hmm. that tries to start a franchise. That being said, it's missing the Guy Ritchie signature. And honest, it it's not Man from Uncle. Man from Uncle was done beautifully with the signature for a franchise and it's not here yeah i would rather see an, another film similar to the gentleman 
then to come back to mm-hmm. Mr. Fortune. That's that's fair. That is absolutely fair. And I'm pretty much, like I said, you know. I do want to see more Bugsy Malone, not just in Guy Ritchie movies. <laughs> I think he has potential. Okay. No, you're right. You're right. Um, but let's move on uh, from this to um, somebody we've kind of talked about a little bit earlier. and um, Michelle Yeoh? Yes. That's oh, it. Yeah. Exactly. Um, also, just this last week or two in theaters, um, Sony uh, Pictures Classics. Re- I pay for that. What? I want to see Michelle Yeoh and Aubrey Plaza do a movie together. I would actually go see that. <laughs> it's amazing how your brain clicks things together at times. I know. Oh, man. You love it. That would be so weird. Okay. I'm trying to... Okay. Anyways, let me, get, <laughs> let me get back to what I was saying here. That uh, Just this past couple of weeks, Sony Picture Classics brought back to theaters the amazing, the wonderful, and the Oscar-winning... Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, which is uh, where a lot of American audiences first got to see Michelle Yeoh. Um, it was definitely where I first saw her. Well, yeah, that was your, as you said, that was your first foreign film that you saw in a movie theater. Yep, I was, subtitles. I was, yeah, I was six years old at uh, our local Cinemark. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, um, blew me away. I I was super excited when that movie came out because already with some friends, we had been doing uh, a lot of watching of wuxia films that director ang lee was drawing from uh things like michelle yo in heroic trio and the executioners and uh, a lot of the early jackie chan stuff uh, sammo hung uh yun wo ping who would go on to be the action director for the matrix films and um whole genre stuff that was exploding through like all the way back to the shaw brothers uh studio films from the 70s Mm-hmm. And um, Ang Lee took all of that stuff and mixed it in with a um, uh, the fourth novel of a five book series from uh, the mid to late twentieth century in China. Or mid mm-hmm. about the nineteen forties and fifties is when it came out, and then it kind of um, the author kind of got swept up. Unfortunately, in the Cultural Revolution, wasn't allowed to write anymore. And um, the books kind of fell out of favor, but uh, copies still existed in Hong Kong and elsewhere. And he was able to take the one book and turn it into what's really a beautiful story of honor, duty, unrequited love. And it's just a fantastic film. And I hadn't watched it in a long time myself, so I was glad to get the chance to revisit it. And I was once again just struck by it. This film has a quiet beauty about it. The editing isn't like fast-paced in any of the fights to the point of incomprehensibility. There's always kind of a gracefulness to these fights. It's almost yeah. like ballet, which again, that's a Yun Wuping influence, and you see that also in like some of the Matrix uh, action sequences. Yeah, you um, could definitely yeah, see it's... that there's a connection there. Okay. How long had it been since you had seen it? really you hadn't revisited it since you saw it as a kid or no it's only been about eight months oh okay (laughs) i I, it's one of my favorite movies i keep it on my shelf all the time and yeah no i i definitely yeah i definitely revisit that one Mm -hmm. regularly okay 
<laughs> so so we're looking at it from two different perspectives yes, yes, here. Yes, yes. I'm I'm almost rediscovering this movie, and I'm you know I'm just in awe of what. Uh, like you rediscovered that. Titanic. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and this is funny because I when I watched it before you, uh, when we decided we were going to talk about that, so I rewatched it you know because I had the disc. You were you wanted to go see it in the theater. I just didn't have the time, unfortunately. Um, and there was something about the editing though. Yes. Did you what what was your what was your thoughts about the editing and the pacing of this movie? Because I know what I want to say, but um the pacing never really kind of picks up. It it rarely does. There's a couple of fight sequences where the pacing gets a little faster, but overall the level in which this film is edited kind of remains there. That being said, during the fight sequences, particularly in the dojo fight between Shu Yin and Jen, um, <laughs> there's got to be somewhere close to, I would say, somewhere between two and 300 frames, uh, different angles and shots setups. in that. Yeah, setups. Thank you. And they are edited together so quick that your brain is going. It was shot specifically to be edited specifically this way. Oh, yes. Yes. I kind of want to know how many setups are in that. <laughs> um, yeah, that would be interesting to go back and I don't know if you'd want to sit there and, you know, with a pad and just. Someone else has off. to yeah. have noticed it. Um, but yeah. Uh, but yes, the editing is, is very slow, steady and methodical. And. I think that serves this story here because it's about people who are reserved, who don't express their their inner emotions in a way that would imply an energy, if you know what I'm saying. Yeah. Um, whereas Operation Fortune, you know, we hit the ground running and because it's it's just a – Boom, 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 boom. Because it's, you know, a spy movie and that's our milieu that we're working in. Here, and, and it doesn't work there because it's kind of like, give me a moment to catch my breath in this thing, would you? Mm -hmm. Here, though, I think it's very, you know, like I said, more slow paced. But that's because the characters themselves, it's a reflection of these characters. And... They don't accelerate in a in an like an emotional term until like right at the end, when they mm -hmm. you know are faced with having to you know when Michelle Yeoh and Chow Yun Fat are there you know finally mm -hmm. in a moment where they have to, they're almost forced to express and confess. That scene is and, still and, fucking heartbreaking. And, oh, it is. It absolutely is because. You look at it and go, they've loved each other for so long, and they've never been able to say it. They know. They knew that each other felt that way. And just because of circumstance. Everyone knew it. Yeah. Everybody around them was kind of like, mm -hmm, yeah, okay, Even Surtee was like, if he, <laughs> if he doesn't – if he comes back and he doesn't say anything, let me know. I'll have a talk with him. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think that's that's what makes this movie I and I think that's what attracted critics to it more so than, you know, 
the action sequences. I think that's what everybody watches this movie and it resonates with them is because of that heartbreak. Mm -hmm. It's 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 beautiful. It's sad. And, and you can be thrilled by the fight sequences and you can be thrilled by oh the horse chase and all this other stuff. And and then ultimately, though, you're kind of like, oh, your, your heart is broken at the end of it all because all of those things added like emotional had those emotional stakes that ultimately led to this mm -hmm. Jen and Lowe there uh, there's there's an interesting pairing that rivals um Nimubai and Shien I was well, recently during the rewatch and I always liked that pairing of Jen and Lo. I hated it this time around. Really? Yeah. Okay, why why the reversal? Lo was the excitement and the romance that she wanted as a child. She was he was her eye opener. Her first sexual experience, her first love you think because of all that it would be stronger it was exciting for her it's run its course so by the time he finally comes back for her she knows a little bit more of the world now the idea that he can claim she's mine she, i don't think she wants that anymore okay and shu yan and them keep telling her you know Lo's waiting for you at uh at uh, uh Wu-Tan Mountain and she doesn't go there until the very end and I think she only does it as a kindness to Shu Yen after watching Limubai die in front of her is she's go she is willing to give that love a second chance I I hate to say it I almost see it as her performing an obligation yeah it's like he died because of me, basically, mm -hmm. and because and so I wrought all of this. So I owe it to him to continue to with this relationship to that I started, yeah. that I got into, that caused all this other havoc. When she stands on that bridge at the end, and she jumps, mm -hmm. my brain actually, for once, gave it a completely different idea behind it. Now the legend is, of course, if you f leap off this bridge. And, so, and you make a wish, you will be carried away on the winds. You'll never return, but your wish will have come true. Mm -hmm. When she stands there, it yes, I know that has always been kind of a sticky spot of, did she commit suicide? Did she... <laughs> um, it, could all, it could almost be seen as... She can't live with what she's done, the guilt and all, blah, blah, blah. She realizes, I I think this time when I was watching it, there was a, a realization of I'm poison. I'm never satisfied with anything that I've been given. I've been the spoiled princess. I've been the warrior. I have wrought so much pain upon myself and upon the people around me. And Lo wants one thing from her, to return to the desert and to continue their relationship, just those two forever. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think she loves him anymore. So it's a kindness. It's the one good thing that she could do is by giving him the dream that they could be together instead of the reality that would have fallen apart in about six months. (laughs) Okay. Um, She's very flighty. She's very just fleeting with everything that she does. She's easy and quick to anger. I mean, the idea of Shuyan trying to help her and all of a sudden she snaps at her because she thinks she's trying to corner or cage her. Mm -hmm. Jen, I grew up and Jen was like a a role model to me. I was I, someone I definitely related to because I always felt kind of caged in my life. And I was like, I want it. I want to break free and take on the world and, t- you know, blah, 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 blah. Growing up and maturing is realizing that she is actually the villain in this story. Not Jade Fox. Not Jade Fox. Yeah, it's it's her selfishness, her entitlement. Yeah, and because she even does it to Jade. Mm-hmm. That scene is heartbreaking when Jade realizes that because she's illiterate, she's been learning from the the Wu Ten um, manual manual mm-hmm. by just looking at the diagrams. Whereas Jen, who is rich and privileged and daughter of a a governor has read everything, learned everything, and kept her master out of the loop. And then she plays, I was so scared when I realized I could surpass you. I had no one to learn from anymore. Why not then become the master and raise? Mm-hmm. You're a protege of your own. Yeah. Yeah. And Jade felt so betrayed by that because she had devoted all that time and energy and not just to a protege, but she had to sneak in and be a governess to this this little girl as well. So in a weird way, she raises her like a second mother. Mm-hmm. Jade, Jen is a spoiled little bitch. It's funny. The the more I see you go down this road of exploring this idea, the angrier I am seeing you get, actually. You're just like, oh, gar, gar. I could I see you like gritting your teeth as you pause I to feel, think. Because I feel betrayed. Okay. Because I grew up idolizing that character so much. And now realizing that the one I probably should have idolized was Shu Yen, but I didn't because youth and all that, you kind of gravitate towards towards someone closer to your age. Yes. Someone who is experiencing things that you wish or wanted to experience. And they're not a good person deep down. And that's what hurt that being said, there are some beautiful fucking shots, particularly in the bamboo fight. And the music, Tan Dunn's score for this film is it's bananas good. <laughs> it's so good. I have I I actually borrowed it from my local library when I was probably about ten. Like mm-hmm. they had the soundtrack and I ripped it and it was on my uh MP three for the longest time. I used to fall asleep to it. It's it's, it's such it's a, absolutely beautiful. It's it's the drums for the night fight. 
help get your energy up. Mm-hmm. But the rest of it is so sweeping and so calm. And meditative. Yes. Um, I actually recently went back and I was listening to it again. Because obviously streaming, you can find anything now. <laughs> uh, and it's just that score never will get away from me. It, it will stick with me for the rest of my life. It may not be Hans Zimmer or John Williams, but it definitely made an impression on me that will never go away. And, um, you know, I was, you know, like I said, I was excited be- about this film because I saw Ang Lee taking elements of movies he liked as a kid. Mm-hmm. He loved those things as a kid and stuff I was getting interested in at that moment. Was this his follow-up to Sense and Sensibility, by the way? I think so. Wow, that's a jump. Uh, Well, (laughs) they're both period pieces. Um, Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And then he'd go on to do Hulk. So, Mm. yeah, Which, which has some interesting things. I don't think it actually works entirely as a film but i think there are some interesting elements within it that i think people dismiss out of hand but that's a whole nother thing (laughs) um but here though you know i was like very excited because i was like oh finally people are gonna know about michelle yo (laughs) and chow yun fat and they never really kind of got as good roles as these two films, uh, as these two characters are in any of the films that they did in Hollywood after this mm. for the longest time. Actually, there was a movie, period piece, Anna and the King. Chow Yun Fat did that, yes. r- I think, a year or two before. Mm-hmm. Because um, very young Tom Felton, by the way, plays uh, Louis. Uh, oh, that's right. I yeah. forgot he was in that. <laughs> Oh, him and Jodie Foster. And I really, really like that movie. And I think it kind of gets swept under the rug because mm-hmm. of, you know, it's never as good as The King and I. Well, yeah. it's a different kind of story. Yeah. I, I actually find it, I think it's a lot darker. I think it's a little more real. Um, I don't know what the historical truth of it is, but as a story alone, it's really good. Mm-hmm. Um Bulletproof Monk. Ouch. Yeah. Uh, um, yeah, there's other stuff. Wait, was he in Replacement Killers? I don't know. With Mira Servino? I really don't Cause, know. Because that's when she was dating Tarantino, and he basically said, oh, you got to make this movie if you're going to make it with him. <laughs> and it turned out to be not so good. <laughs> the last movie, major Hollywood movie that I saw, Chan Yan Fat, in may have been Pirates of the Caribbean at World's End. <laughs> which uh, it's not horrible and i honest he looked like he was having some fun okay hey again if any if any actor is having fun you can't totally fault them yeah uh, um M- michelle yo michelle yo and jean Gilly, they got the sticky end of the stick after this um because mm-hmm. jean Gilly, <laughs> I think her next major Hollywood movie, yikes, Rush Hour 2. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not a fan. I'm, I'm a Jackie Chan fan. I'm not a fan of the Rush Hour franchise. And that comes down to Chris Tucker. And, and Someone the thing who, is that I actually like Chris Tucker as an actor. I thought he was I, great in Silver Linings Playbook. Oh, yeah. But at the time, I referred to Chris Tucker as the <laughs> cinematic equivalent of sand in your swimsuit. Oh. 
<laughs> yeah. You see, just, sand does get everywhere. Yeah. <laughs> um, and honest, the major thing that both of those two did next, which I almost went home and rewatched after watching Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, was Memoirs of a Geisha. Which is okay. It's not great, but it's beautiful to look at. I think they give wonderful performances. Um, I know that there was a lot of backlash over having a Malaysian and a Chinese actor both playing Japanese characters. Yeah, that's a little dicey. Um, But you also had Ken Watanabe. And I'm sorry, the chemistry is palpable between him and Zhang Ziyi. At the end of the day, sometimes, yeah, you're not going to have the right ethnically correct actors playing a role. But are they the best actor for the role based off of performance and chemistry with your partner? Yeah, well, and it's frustrating because after... Mrs. Maisel's been a big proponent of that talk, by the way. Mm-hmm. Um, Since but... most of the major characters are not Jewish. Or most of the major actors. Yeah, that's true. Um, but as I was about to say, it's frustrating because... Uh, Michelle Yeoh, after Memoirs of a Geisha, the next thing she did that of any worth, I think, is um, Crazy Rich Asians and then Everything Everywhere. Really. Uh, you know, for 20 years to get uh, only... She also did Last Christmas in between those two. Yeah, but... It was a small role, but... I'm, I'm talking about of substantive worth. I mean, you could say, well, she didn't do, you know, her next film in Hong Kong after Crouching Tiger was Silverhawk and... It's okay, but it's not great. It's that's that's a movie that was definitely style over substance. Where and we also forgot that Crouch- Michelle Yeoh was a Bond girl pre Crouching Tiger. Yeah, that's true too. Um, yeah, I I'm hoping that now she's entering into a phase of her career where she gets to do. You know, she still might have a little bit of action left in her. But she's getting to do much more nuanced roles, like... We forgot Shang-Chi. That's right, Shang-Chi. Again, that's a smaller role, though. It can get bigger, though. Yeah, if, depending on where they go. Um, and it's not the first time, also, that she appeared in the Marvel Universe. Oh? She was one of the Ravengers with uh, Sylvester Stallone. That's right. That's right. Again, you know, a quick little thing. Depends if they choose to bring that character back or not. I'm talking Discovery. about I'm talking I'm talking about big substantive roles. I'm I'm not a fan of I know Discovery, you're not a big fan of Discovery, period. but you cannot, you know, say that sh- honest when I first heard about Star Trek Discovery, the only thing that got me interested in was the fact that Michelle Yeoh was playing the captain. Oh, same here. That was the first thing that was everywhere, was Michelle Yeoh to head Star Trek TV series. And my brain went, what? I still haven't watched it, but <laughs> I'm falling behind in a lot of the Trek That's stuff. A, I know. I can't shoot Crazy Rich Asians because it's really good. It's solid all the way through. It is the film that made Key wanted to come back out of retirement and start acting again. And thus we're back. (laughs) We've circled back to everything, everywhere, all at once. We've made a giant bagel of a podcast today. (laughs) The bagel. Hail to the bagel. Yes. um... As I am making the bagel symbol. (laughs) I know. 
she did it the other night. <laughs> yes, yes, she did. Um, but I think that might be a really good place to, to wrap, wrap us up. All. For this yes, week. Um, Operation Fortune right now is in theaters. And you can find Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon available for streaming on Apple TV, Vudu, Prime Video. And it's part of a uh, group of Michelle Yeoh movies on the Criterion channel right now under the banner Michelle Yeoh Kicks Ass, which she does. <laughs> and uh, among those other films are uh, Heroic Trio and The Executioners, which I mentioned before. And I would highly recommend those two. Uh, they're so much fun. Um, also, um, one of her first lead roles, uh, Yes, Madam, with um, she plays a Hong Kong police inspector alongside Scranton's own Cynthia Rothrock. <laughs> so if you like uh, seeing uh, tough women shoot and beat the crap out of bad guys, it's great. If you're looking for a story there, <laughs> um, <laughs> it's not great. But, you know, the action sequences kind of carry you through it. Um, and there's a couple of other of her uh, wuxia period films uh, like uh, Royal Warriors, I think, is one. Um, so all of the films I've seen, I think five of the six films on there, but they're a good time. We'll be back next week when EEAAO probably sweeps the Academy Awards Woo! for our post-Oscars wrap-up episode. So that's going to be either like a very happy, excited episode, oh. or if it gets we're totally shut out, it's like we're going to be like sad drunks. <laughs> yes. Honest, though, as long as Brendan Fraser wins... It should yeah. be okay. Brennan, and, Brennan, and key and key. Those are the, like the two <laughs> that are like the the great comeback stories, and everybody loves a good Oscar comeback story. Yeah, and, um, Michelle and Kate Blanchett. Man, I I still it's too close for me to call. It's still know, too close. I know. I know. We'll see. We'll all find out uh, this coming weekend. Yes, we will. Woo! And that'll be all right here on the Big Picture Podcast. There's a man who leads a life of danger. 